Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. And make sure to check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And now, the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to the Instant Relevance Podcast. The Instant Relevance Podcast is an educational podcast featuring the latest news and resources to make learning relevant for all students. Follow us on Twitter at InstantRel. I'm Dennis Sheeran, author of Instant Relevance, using today's experiences to teach tomorrow's lessons, and Hacking Mathematics, 10 Problems That Need Solving. I'm a math teacher for 13 years and an administrator for six, and I am excited to be podcasting. I am Raymond Steinmetz, co-host of the Instant Relevance podcast. I'm a K-8 math instructional coach from Rhode Island. I write and blog about a variety of topics related to education and parenting. You can find my work at www.blendedlearningmath.com or you can follow me on Twitter at blended underscore math. Dennis, was that coffee? No, it's tea. I was going to say, you are like oh, a boss if you're drinking coffee at this hour. <laughs> I'll tell you, it, it wouldn't matter if I was because I, it, it stopped affecting me. It's more of a comfort thing now. Oh, really? So, yeah, wow. I actually do a thing where my wife, uh, I tell, if I ever die, I say my wife said that they might find some blood in my caffeine stream. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's, just, it's, just, it's who I am if you can't tell from the energy level most of the yeah. time. By the way, from everything that you've said about her and everything I've seen on Facebook and everything, I really feel like I need to meet your wife one of these days. She's amazing. I bet she is. That's the feeling that I get. Yeah. Well, I will tell her that. I bet she'll love that. Cool. <laughs> well, we are incredibly excited this evening to welcome Matt Miller with us to the Instant Relevance podcast. He is the author of Ditch That Textbook and Ditch That Homework, and he is a presenter and speaker extraordinaire, and I would love to get to wherever he is to listen to him talk. Matt is so exciting. Audiences love listening to this guy. And whenever I see him on Twitter, all I see are smiles, which means that he is bringing happiness everywhere he goes. And with a theme like ditch that textbook and ditch that homework, I think you're kind of bound to bring happiness along with you. So Matt, welcome to the show. And why don't you tell us a little bit about those books that you've been uh, sharing the good word of and maybe uh, some of the exciting things that you've been seeing and doing as you travel the country talking. Oh, man, that introduction, man, there's like no living up to that. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate that. Um, yeah, so uh, Ditch That Textbook is, um, it's it's been out since, uh, oh gosh, 2015. It's been a few few years now. And um, it's, it's really the sort of the culmination of the beginning of my teaching career whenever I uh, was teaching real traditionally high school Spanish. Um, and was teaching, you know, straight by the textbook, uh, you know, worksheets and workbook pages and homework and, you know, all of that stuff that I had done to me, you know, that I thought that was such a big part of education. And I started to realize after about three, and it took me a while, you know, like three or four years of teaching, I'm looking at my students and I realize there is this enormous, huge problem that I have to address is that the students in my high school Spanish classes couldn't speak Spanish. 
you know, that's kind of the goal. So um, <laughs> I started looking at what was going on and I, I realized that the way that I was using my textbooks was a hindrance more than it was a help. And I thought, man, if I want these kids to speak Spanish, we got to do something different. I mean, for heaven's sake, babies can learn to speak a language and we don't have them conjugating verbs. There is something there that is just not being unlocked. And so I just started experimenting with stuff. You know, um, it was it was even before I totally got connected on uh, Twitter. But of course, once once I was connected there, the ideas started flowing even more. And my classroom just kind of became like a laboratory of um you know, just trying different things and seeing what worked. And if it did, I would kind of reverse engineer it and see why. And if it didn't work, then, you know, I would figure out why it didn't work and would try to learn from it. And um, so Ditch That Textbook was kind of like a lot of the lessons that I learned, I was passing along to people in the form of practical things that they could use and um, just ways of thinking about education differently. Um, so I think that's why people... Um, you know, I'm, I'm very gracious that people are still reading it. Um, and I think that's, I think that's why. And then, um, ditch that homework wasn't a book that I set out to write. Um, my co-author Alice Keeler kind of, uh, talked me into it. And, um, it's something that both of us share, uh, shared a passion for that we just both found in our own classes. She taught math. I taught Spanish that we just never got the results out of homework that we expected. You know, it's been ingrained in the educational culture for so long. And I think we always just do it because it's so widespread. And I think that we just assume that it's best practice and that it's probably based on research and based on, you know, good teaching. But I always look back on it and think, man, for all of the time that we spent doing it, you know, all of the time that we spent in class collecting it and grading it and going back over it and all the time that kids were supposed to spend outside of class. And if they did, you know, the, the results just weren't there. And part of it is that I didn't even know they were doing it. You know, so it, they could have just been sitting next to each other, you know, copying on, on the floor of the hallway next to their lockers before class started. We, we just we just thought there's got to be better ways. And so we just started compiling all of these strategies that you could use um, in addition or in instead of it's like if you couldn't give homework anymore, what would you do? You know, how can we make the most of and I hate to kind of put it that way, but it's like, how can you make the most of those instructional minutes? And I know that's what teachers want to do, but sometimes we pick really inefficient ways to make the most of those minutes. And some of it's based on brain research and some of it is just based on common sense. And, um, you know, we, we've gotten, thankfully, also a very good response out of that, too. So that's kind of my jam right now. Ditching textbooks and ditching homework. I think that really hits on a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast about making learning more relevant and really asking our question, which really keeps coming up over and over again as to whether we're doing something, whether it is for learning and for our students or if we're just doing something because it's something that's been done forever in the past. And I think uh, you're hitting the nail on the head uh, being on this podcast right now because we've talked about a lot of these uh, things and it's great to have you on. And I think that uh, having two math teachers or former math teachers sitting here, uh, homework is definitely a delicate subject. Uh, I know that I definitely have uh, talked to Alice on, on Twitter. She's very adamant about homework. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, and, yes. Uh, you know, just even last year when I was trying to kind of put my own mind around it and trying to, you know, feel out my own feelers. And 
I remember I posted something on Twitter and she was immediately, you know, right back at me. No, you don't need to have homework and just, you know, really mm-hmm. kind of uh, in my face about it. And it's exactly what I needed because I needed that jolt to say, you know what, what is the purpose of homework in your room? You know, how is yeah. it affecting uh, your, your everyday class? And to be honest, you know, last year I ended up kind of secretly kind of stopping giving homework and it was towards the end of the year and you kind of get away with stuff. I think parents kind of quit paying attention and students are, you know, they're not going to say anything if you stop giving homework, like in May, you know, no one's going to say anything. So, you know, I kind of secretly stopped it because I think like a lot of teachers, I was really afraid of kind of the parent backlash. Like I felt like, you know, parents were just going to be like storming down the, the, the school doors or, or something like that. If I didn't give math homework every night in seventh grade. And, uh, you know, luckily that did not happen. You know, I stopped giving homework and, you know, no one really complained and no one really said mm-hmm. anything. And uh, it really uh, turned around my class. And uh, kind of fast forward to this year where I am an instructional coach now and I, I spend a lot of time in classrooms. Uh, you know, in the lower grades, there's kind of that excuse of uh, not giving homework because they're so young. But once you get up to middle school, there's really this uh, fixation on homework. And to be honest, even as an observer of classrooms who goes into a lot of classrooms, sitting in a classroom where they're going over homework and doing their kind of typical homework routine at the beginning of class is super boring. It oh is my goodness. probably one of the boring, most boring things to see in a classroom and it drags yeah. on and it is, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just like, you just wish that the teacher who was up there could see what you're seeing because they would stop doing it immediately. But, right. you know, it you know, really does take this jolt to kind of get people, you know, out of this uh, this mess of homework and that we have to give it. And, you know, it really does take a lot, though. I mean, it, it takes a lot of convincing. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're so right. And, you know, that that teacher where you're sitting there and you're watching it and it's like, you know, so painful. And you start to look at that from a couple of different perspectives and you start to realize that it's not just ineffective. It's like negatively infective. Like it's, it's having a negative impact on things because, you know, I, I don't have the, the like exact research citations for all this stuff, but some of the stuff that I've been seeing is that, you know, there there's research that talks about how our brains are much more, uh, receptive and much more effective at learning if we are at least at neutral to happy when it comes to our emotions. I mean, so the fact that you are starting class with something that's so negative, um, that is really ineffective and is either going to take them down into boredom or frustration or something, you're basically setting the rest of your class up. Uh, I don't want to say for failure, but you're definitely not setting it up for, for success. And if you think about how at the beginning of class, you have that, those like golden five minutes or so where you have the most attention that you're going to get from students. Those are precious moments. And what do we do? Get out your homework. We're going to grade that homework, you know, and there's, there's just so much there. Like, um, you know, I've, I heard, I remember hearing at the, uh, at the ISTE conference last, uh, summer, uh, David Eagleman was talking about, he mentioned something about how whenever there's an emotional connection to something, our brain like lights up 
and there is absolutely no emotional connection to going over homework. So we think, it's like we think in our minds that going over all of these problems that kids have already done so we can show them the errors of their ways is going to be so effective. But in reality, if you look at all of these different places of how the brain actually learns, it just doesn't work. And really, all you've got to do is just look at the boredom all over kids' faces. I mean, it, even if you don't look at the the research, I mean, that that should tell you something, shouldn't it? Absolutely. That's the the craziness about this is to see those kids sitting there just like zoning out at you. And it's an amazing thing to think about what you're designing for your kids when they come into the classroom. And in fact, I have my teachers, uh, they changed their lesson plan folder name to student experience folder because oh, yes. I, I want them to be able to, to think about it from the perspective of their kids. Like, what am I doing? Uh, what are my students doing when they're in my room? What, what are they experiencing? And if they really look at it and think, well, they're experiencing 15 minutes of listening to me go over the same question twice because Johnny needs me to go over this twice, then that's a terrible experience for 23 out of 24 of these kids. Yes. So I've got to, to change that, that model and that idea. And that's, I mean, it goes back to us really thinking about all that we do, even back to what you mentioned before with when you started writing Ditch That Textbook, your kids weren't speaking Spanish. They just weren't. And so like, I have to do something different. Mm -hmm. And for us, ma like math is a ridiculous foreign language to our kids and they don't speak math. And right. a lot of them get through our classes still not knowing how to speak math. Sure, they might be able to conjugate square roots and equations, but they can't speak the language. And that's something that we need to change too. And the homework piece of it for me was a major struggle because I realized that it wasn't helping the language. It wasn't helping them develop it. And I'm at a point now too, where I have parents who email saying, we want our kids to have more homework. Why aren't yeah. you sending homework home? Yeah. And my response to them is, are you a certified math teacher? Oh. And when the answer is no, then I say, I'm not sending you homework because I don't want you teaching them. Like, I don't want you to teach them what I have been trained to teach them. However, I will send you this list of effective questions to ask your kids while they're doing their homework or while they're doing something for any, any other class that gives them homework. Like, how can you start this problem? Is there something about this that you don't understand? Are you sure you answered the question? Cool questions like that that are able to say, like, this is me not knowing anything about the subject. I can ask you a question that can help you further in your learning and trying to teach parents to relinquish control that they feel that they have to have over the one and only subject that kills kids in future is math, that they have to be able to help their kid with their math homework. So by changing yeah. the nature of what we do in that homework environment, what we assign, if we assign anything and how, what we want our parents to be involved in, then we're able to give them an opportunity to feel supportive and helpful and to bring the control for the actual instruction and the instructional impact back to us into our classroom space where practice can exist while we're there, like a coach who takes their kid out on the sports field and practices with them. We're mm -hmm. there to be their coach. Um, and so that's one of the things that uh, I really appreciate about the Ditch That Homework book is you're, you've given us uh, a guide, if you will, and at the same time, um, a support to hand to other people who have said, well, why aren't you doing homework? I'm like, you know what? I want you to read this and tell me what you think about it. <laughs> you um, know. <laughs> That's interesting that you mentioned it that way um, about the support and giving it to other people. I've <laughs> I've had people joke about how they're like, I'm going to buy that book for my kids' teachers and give it to them as a Christmas gift. And I'm like, no, 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 no. 
let's get them the book. That's fine. Let's not assault them with the book. <laughs> let's yeah. find let's find a way. Let's find a more meaningful way to to do that. And Dennis, you were talking earlier about how you've got parents that actually ask for homework. And it's interesting with the conversations that I've had with teachers, I the the beauty of what I get to do, I get to do professional development at schools kind of all over the United States. And um, you know, I've gone, for instance, one time I was right in Silicon Valley, you know, like right down the road from Google and Apple and all of them. And they were talking about how it's so people are so driven out there and if they quit giving homework, it's the same thing. It's like, um, you know, they're going to have angry parents and the parents are going to be like, if you're not going to give my kid homework, I'm going to give my kid homework. And, um, you know, I, I like your response to that, but then there's the other side of the equation too. Um, you know, you've got schools that are in such poverty stricken areas and everybody that I talk to there. And I can say this too, because, um, you know, I've always taught in pretty high poverty areas. And I know my co-author Alice has taught in Fresno in areas where that, that are even worse. And it seems like the homework issue hits them the hardest because it then becomes an equity issue. You know, you start to get the situation where you have kids bringing homework home, if they even do, um, to an environment where the last thing that you're probably going to do is homework with the distractions, with the other family issues that are going on. And it, it's kind of imposing homework as a priority on those kids when you don't even really know what their priorities are. And it also puts parents, this is what triggered this in my mind because um, you were telling Dennis, you were telling that those parents, you know, are you a certified math teacher? Well, on this side of the spectrum, they clearly are not and it almost puts puts parents at a super unfair situation to make them become the surrogate teacher at home and that's just that's that's so unfair especially when we're teachers and i found sometimes the teachers that give homework that are also parents sometimes they look at their own situation they go yeah but i was able to do it and i go yeah but you are you're a college graduate you may even have a master's degree it's in instruction and in curriculum or you know whatever you know you've you've been trained as an educator almost all of the parents of the kids who's getting your homework they don't have that so it's this it's this huge inequitable situation that that we create in a lot of these lower income but even sometimes in the in the more well-off school districts too yeah i think you hit something that i think i might have mentioned in the intro to this episode actually is it is a pretty big assumption that even with the socioeconomic differences between parents uh it's still a uh, a pretty good or pretty big assumption to say that the teachers or sorry, the parents at home are going to have a working knowledge of all K to 12 curriculum. I mean, everything we teach uh, throughout all the years is pretty vast. And, you know, we teach it for a while to be able to understand it and, and know how to teach it to kids. And I think that it's a, uh, a pretty big assumption to assume that other people can do that as well. Ultimately, we're leaving kids alone when they're doing homework. Kind of to build off of that, you know, we talked about just, uh, giving, you know, buddy practice and, you know, maybe some other different uh, strategies that could replace homework or at least make it a little bit more equitable. Could you maybe talk about um, some things that 
or some recommendations that you have from your book uh, to make homework more equitable or for those people who feel like they can't completely ditch homework because of their situation or, you know, someone who wants to maybe test the waters. I mean, what strategies mm-hmm. would you um, give that teacher who might be kind of folding their arms right now and, and, and kind of giving that look, <laughs> if you know what look I'm talking about? Right. Yes. I've seen that look many times, actually. Um, there's, there's a couple things. Um, and of course your, your own particular situation is going to require different things than maybe somebody else's. So I'll, I'll give that caveat first, but here's, here's one thing that I think we really need to do when it comes to all of this is I think across the board, we've got to get real with ourselves about what homework really does. You know, and, and what we're really getting out of it. And I think we've got to, I think we've got to look at the results and think, are we actually getting anything out of it? Is it, is it actually improving things? Are kids actually doing it? So, you know, I think, I think that's definitely, that's definitely one thing. I think the other thing we've got to think about too, is like, how much can we actually cover in a year? You know, I know that, we've got our standards set out and we think, oh man, we've got all of this content to cover. And then what we end up doing so often is we try to march through all of that content and try to check all of the boxes off when we end up covering a whole bunch of stuff an inch deep instead of digging into things. And so I wonder if maybe part of this whole homework thing is this illusion that we've got that we can cover all of it. And when in reality, what we've got to realize is that if we go deep on less stuff, do our students end up getting better off because we've done that instead of tried to, to check all the boxes? So I know that that's kind of like big picture thinking, but I think that that's really sort of at the heart of all of this is that sometimes there are some illusions that we adopt that that aren't totally reality. Now, as far as, far as equity goes, um, you know, I know I've found in in my own case that when we send that homework home and the the students that don't have the resources at home to to be able to do it well I think that if we take you know I mean I mean very simply I think that if we take some of that practice and we do smaller amounts of it in the classroom and we try to make it's almost like that idea of working smarter instead of harder. You know, instead of doing the 20 practice questions at home, what if we have a real honest deep dive onto maybe one or two of them in class? Who ends up being ahead there? But I don't I don't know. And and the reality is that I, you know, I don't totally have all of the answers on how to take these equity situations and and try to make them better, but you know, I've also found in my own classes that just sending it home doesn't make things fair. So I, I I don't know that that's a great answer for you right now, but that's that's really honestly what I've got right now. Well, it's a tough place to to be as well, to think about every child's home situation too, when you don't know every yeah. child's home situation. And so the best we can do is try to approach it from a fairness and equity point of view. Mm-hmm. And that's where I completely agree with you in uh, what I mentioned earlier about uh, lagging homework and shifting that in class. It actually is a part of a, a hack I wrote called the double switch, where you create a new time 
location in your classroom. Because if you're spending 10 to 15 minutes a day going over yesterday's homework mm -hmm. and then pull that off of your classroom because you're now potentially only making a briefer assignment about last week's work to, to solidify that in their memory, yeah. you just gained 10 to 15 minutes in your classroom to now embed with actual practice live on your on what you taught today. Exactly. So you've created the space by removing the hindrance. And so that's a big uh, component of that that I think could make it possible so that, again, you, the certified teacher, <clears throat> can work with your kids, the certified students, in being mm -hmm. able to, to learn what is necessary to be learned in your environment. And I fully believe, <clears throat> totally believe, that our kids can learn everything that they need to learn and that we believe that they're supposed to learn in our curriculum and our instruction in our classrooms in the amount of time they have with us in our school and that after school does not have to be a natural extension of their of their day because i know those parents are saying to me too like i hate bringing my work home why do i have to always work at home you right. know I like leave my work at the office well so does your kid that, that sometimes we just don't give them that opportunity so yeah and you know one more thing to to kind of piggyback on that too is um if we are able to you know, to contain all of that to within the, the school day, think about if we're trying to build better human beings in general, it's like, what is an extra 20 practice questions on math over the same stuff that we've been doing in class already today? How does that, how does that build kids into better people? I, I, one thing that I always come back to is that I, I fear that homework is squeezing out some of the legacy things that we want to leave with our students. You know, like what's important to your your particular family. Um, you know, I, I always look back at my um, you know my my father in law is an auto mechanic, and I'm thinking, man, if my kids end up spending a bunch of their and thankfully they they don't, but if they spend a bunch of their time you know after school and on the weekends and everything stuck doing homework, and we had that opportunity where you know my um, my father-in-law is working on a, on his charger in the garage and is trying to restore it. And my kids are able to go out and tinker with him. And th those are memories. And those are things that you want to pass down. And it's, it's just kind of unfair. That's yet another place where I think it's unfair that we impose more practice work on things that we've already practiced in the day that can end up squeezing that stuff out. So uh, yet another reason I think that, that we've got to totally think differently about homework. So Matt, I just want to shift the discussion a little bit uh, away from homework and maybe back on your other book called uh, Ditch That Textbook. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the reasons that I want to kind of shift the conversation is I've had uh, some experience this year with actually purchasing textbooks uh, now that I'm uh, kind of the administrator of the math program. And we're currently piloting a new math program, so I definitely know like exactly how expensive this is going to be. Oh and, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty immense. And uh, so I just um, kind of want to talk to you a little bit about this idea of ditching textbooks because I know the book, I, I, I know the kind of the underlying uh, reasons behind ditching textbooks and everything. And I can definitely say, as a math teacher who's been doing it for, you know, a decade, if given tomorrow I had to teach a class for the rest of the year without a textbook, I could definitely get by and definitely find all those resources and work really hard to create a, a great innovative class for my for my students and still teach those standards, you know, without a traditional textbook. But man, it would be a lot more work than having kind of a standardized text that my uh, district has kind of brought on and 
you know, used to create a curriculum and, and kind of having that kind of expert knowledge in a text available to me rather than kind of having to create everything on my own, which is certainly possible, but still, a, you know, a lot of work. So my question to you is, is with this idea of ditching textbooks, how do you kind of approach that teacher who might say, you know what, either I'm forced to use this textbook in my classroom or, you know, I actually kind of do like what the textbook offers me and it's made by experts and it's research-based and, and all this stuff. So how would you respond to a teacher who had that feeling? Um, that's that's a, a good question. I think that you, I, actually, Ray, I think you misunderstand what Ditch That Textbook is, is kind of all about. You know, on its face, from the title, it sounds like I'm saying you should not use a textbook when you teach. Yeah. But really, um, you know, with, with pretty much everything that I've written, that's not exactly what I'm saying. Um, you know, the textbook is a resource, just like anything else. And the last thing that I want to do is to take resources out of the hands of teachers or out of students. Um, what ditching that textbook is about is saying, hey, maybe I don't need to march chapter by chapter through a textbook and answer all the discussion questions at the end of the chapter and then go assign a workbook page. You know, kind of ditching some of those traditional things that we've done and thinking differently about the way that we do instruction and the way that we do learning. So to that person, I would say, hey, if that resource is working for you, great, but also think about the fact that these days with all of the resources that we have available to us with some of the technology that we have available to us with the fact that now we know more about how the brain works and about how the brain learns and what it craves when it comes to learning i've got to think that we can do so much better than going to you know chapter eight, lesson four, and assigning 14 questions and then going over them in class. And so to me, what that means is, you know, how can we, how can we do things differently? How can we leverage technology to do some things that we couldn't do otherwise, like bringing video calls into the classroom to connect our students to actual people in the real world that they wouldn't get to meet otherwise? Um, how can we have them creating things with what they've learned? like uh, Google Drawings infographics or uh, using screencasts to be able to record their thinking. Um, you know, how can, we, how can we do some of those things different? I think that's, that's the general idea there. So to the, the person that says, you know, I, I like some of the things that I have in my textbook, that's probably because it's got good information in it. And for those particular parts, if there are ways that you can continue to engage your students, then that's great. But I also have seen so many classes where the textbook becomes the guide, the textbook becomes the curriculum, the textbook becomes the teacher, the textbook becomes the only way. And I think as soon as we start to do that, you know, the the dangers of doing that are equal to the dangers of you know, of, of trying to teach the same way as a student would learn if, um, you know, if they went to Khan Academy, you know, just standing up in front of the class and lecturing or, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that you can get off of a video. And that's the kind of teaching and that's the kind of teacher, I think, that becomes irrelevant the longer and longer and longer that we go.
Now, that's not to say that teachers, that teaching in general is going to become irrelevant because if we use our capacity to do some of that differently, now all of a sudden we free up some time to do the things that teachers are uniquely created to do, to build relationships with our students, to see them for the unique individuals that they are, and to create, as Dennis was saying earlier, those learning experiences. It's like that, that Dave Burgess line and teach like a pirate that I love. Don't just teach a lesson, create an experience. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what it frees us up to do. So, so I think there is sort of sometimes before people read my book, sometimes there's a misunderstanding of what it means. It's not about dump all of your textbooks in the dumpster because they're in and of themselves bad. It's how can we do this differently to keep our education relevant? Did I just use the word relevant on your podcast? I get like bonus points. <laughs> good right? job. That's a so, good yeah, time. I think I just gave you five extra credit points that don't apply to anything. Yes. <laughs> but uh, so I want to close uh, our time here together, if I can, with two things. One, uh, before I thank you for sharing your perspective um, deeply with us, it's really important that we, that we hear from you about the books and about the titles, that they're not just what that title might indicate some ways. But um, I remember, I think it was my, probably my second year of teaching. So this is uh, 2000. And I was teaching in a basement classroom and I had a couple of kids in this algebra two class that were uh, major punks in school. You know, these were the kids who everybody knew were the guys who uh, they were picking fights, they were doing all the problems. <clears throat> they were really the issue in school and one of the kids was acting up in class one time and stands up and goes sheeran like you don't even teach us and the kids huh. start, laughing, start laughing at him like like what are you talking about he's like <clears throat> you just give examples and explain them and the other kids are like that's teaching man and i look back on that now 18 years later thinking that was pretty crappy teaching if i just put an ex example up on the board and just explain what i wrote <laughs> Like I said, it's what Khan Academy does. They don't need a human being for that now. Yeah. <clears throat> they may have needed it then, but they definitely don't need it now. And that kid who I uh -huh. thought would be in a punk, and uh, what he craved was real learning. He craved a real learning yeah. experience, and I didn't give it to him. And uh, so that's what I look back on, and I think um, I can't move forward the same way. I can't um, allow that to happen the same way, and I appreciate you sharing your perspective on that. And uh, I'd like to ask you one completely unrelated question to close this out because you are also a technology nut, and you have shared yep. – one of the most creative and exciting things that I'd never heard of before that became an active part of my own days. And so I would like to give you a chance to, uh, to share with us maybe one thing that you have recently found or started using that you just love from a technology point of view that you'd like to share with the Instant Relevance podcast listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing that I've been toying with a lot recently on, um, on my blog and on um, the Google Teacher Tribe podcast uh, that I do with Casey Bell um, is the is this this one idea? I've kind of like boiled it down to this one sentence, and I've been playing with it for for several months now. It's you don't need the app to create the experience. Now, here's what I mean by that. I think a lot of times we look at what students are excited about, um, you know, what is relevant to them, and sometimes it involves an app or a site that's not easily accessible from school or doesn't uh, become a learning activity very easily. Um, I'll give the example of Instagram. You know, lots and lots of, of students and, I mean, even adults 
are all about Instagram right now. And we look at some of its features like Instagram stories, for instance. And I think, man, that would be so cool to use in the classroom to create visual storytelling to demonstrate, demonstrate learning and to kind of think through what you've been learning. But you know, there's terms of service and there's the app and you got to create an account. And I mean, it's just kind of a pain in the neck. So I come back to that saying, you don't need the app to create the experience. So the essential question here is, how can you create an experience that students love similar to the app that they love without having them download the app? So what I do a lot of times is I get Google Slides out and I create these templates that mimic that experience. So I have created an Instagram stories template. It's a whole bunch of slides. They look like cell phones. I've recreated the interface of what the Instagram stories look like. And all you do is you just slap a bunch of uh, little video clips and images onto it and then you hit play and you flip through the slides and all of a sudden it starts to feel like an Instagram story. And so I would, I would challenge folks to think about what are those experiences that kids love that are so relevant in their lives to five more extra credit points instantly. and <laughs> instantly. Yes, there you go. And how can you recreate that experience using technology or not? Um, and I think that's, you know, the, the Google slides template, I think is a really versatile way to, to do that. Um, Google slides is one of those things that, you can do a million different things with that it wasn't designed for. So, um, by the way, if anybody's interested in that idea of um, Instagram stories, you can go to ditchthattextbook.com slash Instagram stories and see a little slide deck that walks you through how to do it and even make a copy of that template if you want to start using that. Thank you, Matt. That's exciting, and that's really uh, it. Hit on something we spoke on in, uh, an episode or two, an episode or two ago, um, when we were talking about the passion that kids have for the game of Fortnite. Oh yeah, um, it's like you don't have to bring Fortnite into your classroom, but if you think about the things in the game that they love, exactly. they love that it's collaborative and competitive. They love that you can win without being the best, and that you can hack it and you can create within it. And then you think about your classroom situation, and it's not like that at all. It's no wonder they don't love your classroom. Like right. create an environment like the environment they want to be in. And I love what you did there by creating an experience like the one they like to use, but not necessarily using exactly the one they want to use. And that's a safe space for schools uh, and for kids. So, yeah. uh, Ray, you have any closing thoughts for Matt? I just uh, love what you said earlier about how, you know, teaching still matters. We, uh, yeah. we have a ton of technology with all the textbooks and homework you know, really it comes down to that human connection. And I think that that's really the most important part of teaching. And uh, I love how you've kind of worked uh, to the point in your career where you're really advocating for the teaching profession. That's what we love around here on the Instant Relevance podcast. So I thank you, Matt, for uh, joining us tonight and uh, sharing everything. And do you want to just maybe leave it off with uh, where people can find you? Yeah, actually, that'd be great. Thanks, Ray. Yeah, so the best place to go is ditchthattextbook.com. Um, there are multiple new posts up there every week of, um, you know, just just different things that can help you to use, you know, technology, creativity, innovation in your classroom. I also do have a free ebook that's available there called 101 Practical Ways to Ditch That Textbook um, with, you know, lots of screenshots and links to uh, explain 
everything that you would need to do to to try some of those ideas. So if you're looking for something right away, that's a great place to go. I think that's that's sort of the home base for pretty much everything that I do. So if folks want to check that out, that's probably the best place to go. Well, thank you, Matt. Uh, thanks for joining us today on the Instant Relevance podcast. We are excited to share this. We're excited for our listeners to hear your perspectives and what you have shared with us today and excited to see all that you continue to add to the education world in person as you travel and on Twitter as we follow you. Again, you've given us a lot to think about. You've given us a, a lot of support and uh and feeling good about some of the things we already do as well. And uh, we value you giving us your time here tonight. So this will be the end of episode seven of the Instant Relevance podcast, uh, closing out for Ray Steinmetz, myself, Dennis Sheeran, and Matt Miller. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again next time.